Tonight's episode of Expeditions is brought to you by Elder, for when you want a relationship that's out of this reality. It's been an uneventful month since the recovery of the Grail. There haven't been any monster attacks. There hasn't been any aliens or any secret societies. And there hasn't been any attempts on your life. You've been able to get back down to your shack by the beach and put your sign up and get back to finding people's lost frisbees and catching runaway children and stopping the heroin dealers from peddling under the pier. Things are back to normal. Things are comfortable again. The only evidence of all of the chaos that has happened since the Sea Blast debacle started is the roaming gangs of post-apocalyptic warriors and the occasional recovering Sea Blasted scrounging around looking for whatever carbonated treats they can find. Father O'Malley. Yes, my son. You've been awaiting word from the Vatican. You've been sure it's coming any day now. You've sent in your reports, but you feel your time in the church is largely wasted at this point. You want to be out more. You wish there could be more going on. I mean, you don't want monsters attacking, but that's what you do. You fight monsters. This sleepy Sunday afternoon, mass is over. Everything seems peaceful and quiet. Until a visitor storms into the chapel. Can I help you? Oh, why, yes, you can. I am... Long-windedly tired, and I desperately need a place to have the ear of one of the holy men hear my confessions of all the wrongdoings of which I have been a part of. Can we please make our way to your nearest confessional booth and dispense with all of the troubles that are weighing so heavily upon my heart? Well, my son, normally uh, we like to maintain anonymity between both the presiding priest and the person taking confession. Oh, Additionally, well, my apologies. I thought I didn't introduce myself, and we can keep it that way if it is your preference. Additionally, most penitent sinners enter at a calm pace, they anoint themselves with holy water, and they adhere to the fact that they are, in fact, in a church, and not at some form of Sports event. Please, describe what Father O'Malley sees. In front of you is a man of somewhat average height, seems to be in his perhaps mid-thirties, uh, a black mustache across the top of his lip, and a pair of red-tinted circular frame glasses that seem to almost cover the rest of the space and the, the eye that's behind them with a very 
out-of-date fashion, perhaps some kind of fashionable affair from the 1870s to maybe early 1950s, but in this in these beige dress pants uh, with pinstripe, upon which there is a matching jacket and vest with a white collared shirt beneath. Oh, and I'm sure most of your readily available patrons of the Church of the Holy House are not busy on some God's forsaken mission of theirs with which they need to dispense with some formalities and get to know the person they came to see. You know, it seems to me that you're clearly, if not never been in a church, at least a lapse practitioner of the faith. And so, if you wish to be led through a holy sacrament, as prescribed in the Bible, I would be more than happy to help you out. If you would please step into the confessional here, and we will begin the sacrament. Oh, right away, your holiness. Lead on. And I will lead this eccentric gentleman to the confessional and show him inside. You know what the only thing worse than a 13-plus hours-long train ride from Reno, Nevada, having come from Austin, Texas, is? I'd have to imagine it's this conversation. No, it's making that trip in coach. Now, I'm to believe that somewhere amidst all of the myriad curiosities of the town that we've been experiencing while I'm not here is some subset of soda problems or things changing shape. What I want to know is, was it you or one of the other people I was informed about who had a run-in with someone let's just refer to as Quincy? Well, first of all, I'll be more than happy to have this conversation with you. However, I just need to get a bottle of water from my gym bag. I prefer scotch, but whatever is your pleasure. Then I pull out my flaming broadsword. I don't know who you are or what it is you think you're doing here, but you have exactly three declarative sentences to tell me how it is you know anything about extra-dimensional beings, soda transformations, and the like. With an almost pouty expression, I raise both of my hands in helplessness and then gingerly wiggle my fingers on one hand and slowly move it into the breast pocket of my jacket and produce a thin, small business card, which I also gingerly put down on my side of the confessional booth and return to my pouting demeanor. I reach over with my offhand and pick up the business card and examine it. The card reads, Israel Barnabas Adams, Sorcerer of the Universal Life Church, Licensed Bounty Hunter in Three States, and Petty Dabbler of the Arts Arcane. And it has a phone number attached. Well, this explains to me who you are, but not necessarily why you're here. 
if you would. As it so happens, I've come across information from my business, gesturing towards the card, that someone has come into contact with a being of significant supernatural presence. And perhaps my ministrations would be best put to use, ensuring that no unseen damage has been done to the person or the very fabric of existence around them as a result of such a dangerous encounter. At this point, I will put my sword away. While I can appreciate that you would have some concerns about this, I can tell you that the individual who encountered the being that has colloquially come to be known as Quincy is no worse for wear than he ever has been. On the surface, I'm sure. Heck, he's probably doing even better than he has been in a long time. But what really matters is what's beneath the surface, at a level that I happen to be particularly capable of looking into. Listen, son, I'm going to stop you there, because I, you must... I, I cannot stress this enough, but believe me when I say to you that Trevor Ebbs is all surface. We cut to the beach. Catching some waves, because that's what I do. Kick Healy Flip. Fun times at the beach. The lifeguard waves to you. Cool, man. So I jog over. Surfing fun. Yeah, man. Surfing super fun. Want to go surf? Working. Ah. Well, that's a big bummer. Maybe when you get off, we can catch some waves. Og jumps and points and tries to blow a whistle, but he just doesn't have lips, so it doesn't go very well at all. He grabs his orange floaty thing and rushes into a tide pool where one child is splashing another. No splash, no splash. Well, out here saving the day again, look at you. So is it pretty quiet on the beach here? It's pretty quiet. It's a moderately sunny day, and the waves are okay, but nothing fancy. Well, I guess I'm going to head on back to my sign. When you get back to the sign, there is a young child crying. Uh, help me, Mr. Matt, help me. Uh, uh. Oh, sure, kid. He holds up a cracked plastic bucket. I caught in a crab and the crab escaped and it broke my bucket. Well, sure, man. Let's let's go find your crab, bro. Where'd you lose it? Uh, uh, over there. And I take the kid over to where he lost his crab. You head down to the beach and you get to where the child says he lost his crab. It broke out of the bucket, and now it's in the sand. And he points down. I gingerly test it with my foot to make sure there's no sander snatch. No, you don't think there's a sander snatch there. All right, then. But I start digging. You don't dig very far before you hit something hard. Oh. Well, I think we might have found it, dude. And uh, you clear some sand away, and you see what looks to be part of a chitinous shell. Um, little chitin or big chitin? Um, you keep clearing away the sand, and uh, yeah. it keeps going. Oh, dear. Hey, man, how big was this crab? Yeah, it was it was a little crab, but then it got big and broke my bucket. Um, are we talking like a foot wide right now? Because, you know, that's a little big for a little kid. It was small, and then it broke my bucket. And then the beach starts to move underneath you. So back to the other side. Well, I suppose I will have to meet the young man and ascertain for myself if he truly is all surface. It would make my job much easier if he was. Believe me, 
Nothing about his attitude makes anyone's job easier. But if it will help get rid of you, I'll be more than happy to introduce you to Trevor. At which point I start heading for the parking lot. Seeing as I'm new to town, am I to assume that I am to go with you in your vehicle? Well, I would tend to say that there's only one way that you're going to meet Ebbs, and that's if I take you to meet him. Let's go. Much obliged, Father. When you pull up to the beach, two things stand out. Firstly, Ebbs is not at his stand. The van is there, but nobody's hanging out. The second thing that catches your eye is the 50-foot crab. Well, Mr. Potter, I'd summon your Patronus. Welcome to L.A. And then I grab my flaming broadsword and head off towards the 50-foot crab. Hey, folks. Welcome to the mid. Middle of episode 34. Yeah. Three, four. A new episode and a new character. Oh, hello, cat. You don't belong in a mid. Everything belongs in a mid. Well, apparently you belong in a mid. What belongs most of all is your weekly reminder that you can check out the Umbral Theater presents Expeditions of the Extra Normal at all your favorite podcast outlets, whether it be Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple iStore. If you can find a podcast there, you can find this podcast there. We love you and thank you for following us on this madcap journey. Also, please make sure you share. The more people that listen to our podcast, the happier it makes us, and the happier we can make you. And now, back to the show. There's a 50-foot crab. Ebbs and a small child are atop it. All right. I'm going to run at it and attempt to pin one of its claws to the ground to make a slide so both Ebbs and the boy can get off of the giant crab. Roll to act under pressure. Okay. So a six and a two is an eight, plus my cool of one is a nine. With a nine... You are going to be able to hold one of its legs in place very briefly. And will likely get thrown when it realizes you're there. Would you like to continue? I pin the leg down and I scream up, Ebbs! Yabba dabba do! And I grab the kid and I slide! Let the, the crab out of the bucket! It broke my bucket! Roll to act under pressure. Okay. Well, a three and a one is a four. <laughs> My act under pressure is cool for a one, making it a five. Well, mark off a point of experience. Yay. As you collide directly with Father O'Malley as you slide down. You tumble face first into the sand. The kid tumbles face first into the sand. And the crab... Starts snacking on people. And it's about that time that I'm finished fooling about with my leather-bound briefcase, retrieving a type of glove that fits over my left hand. It's very obvious and fairly gaudy with 
what look like metal strings going across each finger as though it were an extra skeleton on top of it. Clasping the briefcase shut, putting it at my side, and beginning to weave in front of me. At first what seems to be nothing but slowly forms into the presence in front of me, a sigil of some kind, before finally releasing it in front of me with the incantation of Asayu Entale, after which this light blue, perhaps an orb at one point, but quickly becomes a projectile, shoots forth and strikes the side of the oversized crustacean. Roll to kick some ass. As I'm using my combat magic, I get to roll plus weird instead of plus tough. Uh, that's a five and a five. Plus my weird of two uh, gives me a rather respectable 12. And what are the effects of this spell? Well, the missile itself is one-harm magic, and I've attributed to it the effect of ice, applying an extra plus one harm and the restraining quality. And as I had an extra ten, it manages to deal significantly more harm. An extra one point. So, three points of harm as this creature reaches down towards you with one of its massive claws. Your bolt of ice freezes the claw as it comes at you, and it falls to the ground and shatters. You will take two points of harm from the shattering ice. The creature keeps trying to reach for you, not realizing the claw is gone for a moment. But as it does, it skitters sideways away from you, directly towards the scurrying crowd. As it turns to scuttle away, I'm going to take a swipe at it with my sword. A six and a five is an eleven. Plus my tough of three is a 14, and kick some ass is an advanced move in my playbook. So I will suffer no harm at all as I stab this thing with my flaming broadsword. And how much damage do you deal? Once again, it is a three harm uh, fire holy weapon. With a mighty swing, you chop off one of its rear legs, and the creature stumbles and skitters. It's not able to really start clamping down on people yet, but it does injure several as it thrashes about. I further attempt to get the kid out of harm's way. Bye-bye, bucket! Bye, bucket! And as soon as I deposit him off, like, you know, away from danger, I reach into the ethereal and take out my cool sword chainy whip thing. That's not a bucket! Nah, man. But it's good at holding stuff. He tries to hand you the broken bucket. I, I take the bucket. And I run off. And I put the bucket on my head. And then I attack the crab. Okay. Roll to kick some ass. Hooray! 
Well, a four and a one's a five. And my top of zero makes it a five. You will gain an experience point. And as you run up and swing your chain, you entangle one of its forelimbs. And it just starts dragging you along as it goes. Take two harm as you are dragged across the pavement. Well, thankfully, I have the invincible trait. So I always have two armor. So I don't have to worry about that. Um, and resilience. So hopefully not taking any damage and stepping that down a little bit. I just take no damage. But I look like a goofball. Yes, and we're all used to that. Yeah. Izzy. This creature is getting closer and closer to people. What would you like to do? Eh, maybe this time I should target one of the gigantic legs rather than the claws. Keep it away from the people it's trying to run towards. And I repeat the gesture and incantation with the, with the implement upon my hand. And another ice-laden missile shoots over at it. A five and a one is a six, plus my weird of two brings that to an eight. You blast the crab's legs out from under it, and it topples over. This is a missile, correct? This is a missile, which is fired from far away. Yes. And it thrashes and rolls and ends up on its back. It is... Struggling valiantly, but appears to be almost done for. O'Malley, would you do the honors? That is my plan, my son. I'll bring my blade back around to bear on its exposed belly. Roll to kick some ass. Well, a six and a three is a nine, plus my tough of three is a twelve. So I will again suffer no harm as I bring my blade to bear on the crab. You leap atop, and with a mighty thrust, drive the blade deep into the creature. It twitches and stops moving. Well, Ebbs, it appears I can't leave you alone for Sunday Mass. Yeah, man, I just, like, don't even know what happened. There was this kid, and he was like, hey, man. I'm like, hey, kid. And he's like, my pocket broke. I'm like, I'm sorry, kid. And he's like, my crab got away. I'm like, I'm sorry, kid. Let me help you find it. And he's like, it's over here. And I'm like, all right, cool, man. And we went over there, and I dug a hole. And I was like, this is a big crab. And he's like, yeah, man, it broke my bucket. And I'm like, oh, no. And then, boom, 50-foot crab. And I was there, and then you were there. And then I slid down the claw, and here we are. Oh, what a concise summary. Oh, oh hi. my my bad. Uh, Trevor Ebbs, the boy who lived. Harry Potter, Trevor Ebbs. He came from Hogwarts to make sure that your good friend Quincy didn't do anything to you. I knew it! Took the train and everything. Do you have a pet hippogriff? What's its name? I'm not that kind of magic user, kid. Hmm. But furthermore, your friend the father here seems to be the one to have informed me that it was you who ran amok of a creature far superior to ourselves, who is now, for some reason, referring to themselves as Quincy. Yeah. But, you know, I meet lots of people all the time. So, like, whatever. 
Well, whatever. Would be the case were it not for the fact that you left the plane of existence of which you were born on and presumably were supposed to die upon. I represent interests, which for some reason seem to have your health and livelihood at the highest of priorities. And they're also paying me to make sure that nothing bad happened from whenever you were there, so... Oh, you're my insurance agent! I was looking for you a while ago! I accidentally broke somebody's car and left it on an island, and I need you to go out there and file a claim, because it's just sitting there and it needs to be towed away, and I'm not really sure how to tow it. But I'm really glad that you're here for my well-being, because, you know, I've needed somebody for a long time. Anyway, this is my address. Go ahead and shoot that thing out there and take care of it. And when you get back, Scott and Booch, we're all set. Not that kind of insurance person, kid. If you have a lawyer or something, that'd be who you call. Oh yeah, hang on a second. Hey, Chuck! Come here, bro! A minute later, a scruffy-looking fellow wearing mismatched flip-flops and a lifeguard t-shirt with the lifeguard symbol covered over in black duct tape wanders by. He's carrying a tote bag with a small goat in it. Yeah, dudes. Hey, what's up, Chuck? What's up, Toad? What's what? What? I said hi to the goat, man. What? Uh, oh, hey, say hi, hi, Toads. <laughs> so anyway, check it out. I called you over because, like, you know, I left this car on an island and I banged it up a little bit and I can't get it back. I need somebody to get it back for me. And the insurance agent guy said I needed to talk to my lawyer, but I thought I needed the insurance guy, but apparently I need a lawyer, so I'm talking to you. Oh man, you you need somebody who. Who specializes in maritime law. Oh, no. Do you know anybody that specializes in maritime law? Well, I, I know a guy, but he's... He's kind of having some family troubles at the moment. Well, it's been there a while. It can wait longer. That's okay. Anyway, high five. Thanks for stopping by. hey oh, What's with the, uh... Oh, man, I was gonna say what's with the suit, but he's... Did... Did we travel through time? Um, wait a second. Let me check my calendar. And I pull out a notepad. Nope. Still the same day. Dude. Nice studs. Did the mustache come with them? Had to grow this one myself. I grow some stuff myself, too. Oh, we should keep in touch, then. For real. Later, Ebs. All right, man. Later, dude. So if you shout in another direction, are we going to get your state representative as well? Um, I don't think I know him personally. But I could try. Wait. I don't think I know him at all. So I guess I can't try. Anyway, who are you? Yes, I believe we are past the point of introductions. I reach inside of my jacket pocket again and produce a business card. Israel Barnabas Adams. But for the sake of pleasant conversation, by all means, just call me Izzy. Izzy what? A large shark man has wandered over. He is wearing a bib with a picture of a lobster on it. I'm guessing this form of sea life is much friendlier than the large crab I had helped you both dispatch earlier. Oh, hey, speaking of large crab, check it out, Og. There's a feast on the beach for you, man. Go to town. He points to the bib. Oh. Yum, yum. Yep, definitely missed that. 
he starts chewing on the giant crab. I've seen worse, but I still prefer not to look at it. So do you keep that creature around as a food disposal service, or for other more sentimental reasons? That's Og, and he's a person. So, like, we keep him around because he wants to stay around. Sentimental it is. Now, if we have a better location with which to discuss affairs of the more private nature than the openness of this beach, I would advise that we make our way there post-haste. And I step over to the van. You travel about a hundred feet to a van painted with some kind of mural. What is it painted with today? Well, today, there are like firework explosions on the side with different colors. Because I like colors and fireworks. About another 50 feet further away, you can see Chuck sitting in his van with the door open. He is clipping his toenails. Oh, so what's up, man? It's private over here. So as it pertains to your meeting with, uh, let's keep calling him Quincy. The actual pronunciation of his name is a real racker on the brain. Now, by what means did you encounter him and them, whatever they're deciding to be this week, and whereabouts did you go, and howabouts did you return to our plane of existence? So, like, it was really cool, because we were out trying to get the Holy Grail back from this really bad guy named Sir Boris, and on our way out there, we found this cliff, and we're like, yo, we gotta go up this cliff. And we're like, all right, cool. So we attached the rope to the cliff. And then we were like, can we all climb? And we're like, yeah, sure, let's try it. So Skip to the part where the creature appears, please. Okay. So like, after that, I went flying through the air. And I was like, oh no, Ugg, you want to get on? Or you want to swim? And he's like, Rawr. and I'm like, oh yeah, duh. <laughs> and he's like, swim away. So like, he swam, and I swam, and you know, he was chasing me. So after you failed to climb and landed in the water, did... Quincy appeared. Oh, no, I never and... got around to climbing. No, 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 no. I was in the boat. Hmm. And so from above it fell, and from beneath it rose, giving chase to you. Yes. It rose from the ocean and followed me all the way to Atuin, the world turtle. Another thing to pocket for another conversation. I mean, honestly, on a scale of, like, interesting things to talk about, I really figured, like, Atwin would have been the one to talk about. But, you know, Quincy's cool, too. Because, like, Quincy took me places. And times. And where did you go? Um, well, <clears throat> uh, you know, have you ever heard of the fourth dimension? Fourth and occasionally the fifth, yes, but let's just stick to the fourth for now, sure. Mm-hmm. We went to the opposite one, which apparently is a thing, and I didn't know that. Because I heard the fourth was time, so we went to untime. But we came back. Revelations abound. Anyway, um, you know. Don't. Don't forget now, Trevor, that the most important part was that when you went to Untime, it was for interdimensional speed dating. Oh, yeah! That's, like, why we totally went there the first way. Because, you know, Quincy was really lonely and wanted another, um, interdimensional being. Because I've heard that Eldritch Horror makes them feel bad. And screaming, by the way, 
um, up that they are Eldritch Horrors is insulting, and I wouldn't do it because they're scary when they're mad, but don't tell them they're scary because that is also scary and makes them not feel good. And that's not cool. So, like, you know. Anyway, I helped them find a bow, and it was totally cool. And you were just brought aboard as a plus one. At plus two, actually. Our cool friend Atsimanu joined us. I think Alicanto uh. came too, because Alicanto was doing the translating. Because I don't speak Eldritch Bean. Two more house calls for me to make. Well, I'm not sure you're going to find either of them, because they're on the World Turtle right now. And the World Turtle, um, left? I don't know. They had to move on, because, like, you know, all the fun stuff here had stopped being fun. All the easier for me, then. No extra reports to file if there are no bodies to check. Now, while you were there, this speed dating, what happens to you? Did you touch anything? Did you stand, sit down, breathe, not breathe, eat something? Um, yeah, man. Like, I was there for eternity. And then some. And then none. And like, you know, you get hungry. And thirsty. But like, you get bored too. So you gotta keep busy. But then like, you know, you get too busy. So you gotta rest. And you know, that happened. A bunch. A bunch. And like, you get over after a while. I turn to the father. Was he like this before or only after? Definitely before. Oh, maybe there's hope after all, then. Now, if you have a private residence, preferably with uh, four walls and perhaps a door in and out, I would like to be brought there post-haste so that I can set up a proper room with which to do the work that needs to be done to ensure that you left that place on time, let's keep calling it, unharmed, unabated, and not bringing anything along with you, whether you have known so or not. Well, let's unstay here. And get on over there. Ha! And I move the van. So, you jump in the van and begin driving. And a couple minutes later, you pull up next to the beach. Back in the parking lot, next to your detective stand. Yeah, man. Here we are. Um, onward to my house. Preferably with fewer circles made in our driving there. You know, if you have a problem with Trevor's driving, you could always take a port key. But, Trevor, as it turns out, I have a problem with your driving. I think that something is not quite right. Um, maybe. Sometimes I forget to take turns. But, you know, I'll try again. This doesn't happen that often. Just sometimes. After a few more minutes of driving, you pull up to your detective stand at the beach. I know what's going on, guys. Hang on a second. I get out of the van. I go sit down in the sand. And I start meditating. Because if this is a bad trip, I just have to center myself. And then I can get on with my life again. And Trevor goes AFK. Is he a yogi too? Yogi bear, maybe. Well, after a moment of making everybody tediously wait, I hop back in the van. All right, guys, I think I figured it out. Let's head home. And after a few minutes of driving, you pull up to the detective stand by the beach. I don't think it's you, Trevor. 
Um, okay. Why don't you drive us to the house then? That way, we can empirically decide whether it's me or the van. For the sake of argument, I will attempt to drive to the safe house. Okay, you switch seats. Father O'Malley takes the wheel. And a few minutes later, Trevor pulls up to the detective stand at the beach. Well, here we are. Again. And I'm going to be honest. A. Kind of freaking me out. B. Wasn't a thing until you showed up, homie. And I turned to Izzy. Well, neither were giant sea creatures appearing on the beachside itself. There's a lot of things to be examined here, and I suppose I'd best start while I'm in this van. So, like, I get out of the van and look around. Does anything look off? It's a bright, sunny day at the beach. Everything looks fine. Everything looks perfect. Yeah, is it, like, later in the day? Has it always been this time of day? It might have been. Now I'm worried. You're not sure. I'm not sure. Og is chewing on giant crab legs. And people on the beach are running and playing and having fun. I begin the process of preparing all the materials necessary for a proper augury of the current situation. Roll to use magic. A six and a two is an eight, plus my weird of two for a total of ten. And please tell us how this works. By taking from my leatherbound suitcase a orb of simple-looking glass, I brush my free hand over it multiple times in an attempt to almost push away the reflections in the glass to perhaps reveal a different kind of reflection so that I may observe another place or time, the time specifically that I am trying to view is the time that we left this parking lot in the van. Your vision steps outside of your body, and as you peer through the orb, you are able to see out and see the very edges of reality. The unfortunate thing is that reality is a half-mile across bubble surrounding the beach, beyond which lies nothing, as far as eternity. 